All right, one day after the arrest of Jesus, remember the last two weeks we talked about in the upper room, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, and then he washes the disciples' feet. Then last week we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane and that moment where Jesus is finalizing his commitment to fully embrace the assignment he has been given by the Father to go to the cross. And of course, he's arrested. Judas betrays him. He's arrested. That night, Thursday, that Thursday night, he's taken. And he is um, bound. He is, over the course of the evening and then into the morning hours, he is also moved. So he's both taken captives. All his disciples flee, run away. Um, and then he's, he's moved from different interviews. And along the way, he's beaten, uh, slapped around. Finally, his accusers, his most fierce opponents, who knew that when they made this move, that the outcome that they were intending was to have Jesus killed. They, they made the decision that they're going to have to ultimately take Jesus to Pilate. Pilate was the the Roman governor, he was known as the procurator, the, uh, the one who held absolute power and authority. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But they need to bring Jesus into what's called the praetorium. They were the headquarters uh, where Pilate and the garrison of Rome would have resided. And, and in the course of that, this incident is going to be recorded here in John 18. It's actually recorded with exceptional detail. And this exchange, I've already, as I've already mentioned, is one of the most detailed, suggestive in all the scriptures. It's filled with majesty. It's filled with sublime beauty, profound, even sadness. Two men brought to a crossroad, having to make a decision. John 18, verse 28. Let's begin there. You can follow the scripture in your handout. It says this, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours in the morning. And, the, and then he, he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. Now, that would have been Pilate. And uh, we need to remember, it's important to remember that as part of the backdrop of what's going on here, is that the Jewish people were not free. They were, uh, they were occupied. This was an occupied place. Rome ruled in Palestine. Palestine was the Roman name for the region, by the way. It's the name that is held through the centuries, but it was given originally by Rome to this region. And they had um, made a decision, of course, to give the, the Jewish people, actually they gave the Jewish people more latitude than most. Rome had actually somewhat accommodated some of their religious practices and even give them, given them some, some degree of their own jurisdiction over most matters. The one thing that they were not allowed to do, however, was to exercise capital punishment. That alone was the jurisdiction of Rome and must be submitted. And it's going to serve as a, as a backdrop for everything that happens. On top of that, they were required to pay taxes. Now, at the time, there is a tremendous amount of seething resentment against the Roman Empire. Every time the, 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 the Jewish people are reminded of their situation, there's a seething level of resentment. And it was not uncommon for rebellions to rise up, which is why a governor like, like Pilate was always being watchful. In fact, we know that even one of Jesus' own disciples was what was called a zealot, someone who advocated um, a uprising against Rome to throw off the oppressors. So that what I'm trying to get at is this is a time where there is, there is real deep intense anger and resentment towards Rome. Pilate himself, um, we know from history, 
was someone who was not loved at all. He was considered both arrogant and dangerous, um, a man not to be trifled with. The Jewish author religious authorities despised the man. And make no mistake about it, the last thing they really wanted to do was come and bend their neck before Rome, asking for permission to have Jesus put to death, and yet what was their recourse? If they wanted to be rid of Jesus, they had to do what none of them really wanted to do, and that was they had to go and approach Rome and ask them to help finish the deed. And of course, this is what's going to set the table for everything. It was an unfortunate dilemma, no question about it. Uh, you got to remember again that there is this kind of uneasy detente, uh, an uneasy kind of agreed upon peace. It's like everybody's making a deal here. You keep the people calm. You keep everybody under control. And Pilate says, I'll leave you alone and I get to keep my job. Because it, what Rome didn't put up with was problems. So the primary responsibility that Pilate has is to keep the peace. And there was probably no time of the year where it was more difficult to do that than the time of Passover, which is exactly when it was. Because people would come from, the Passover was the highest and holiest day of the Jewish people. Remember, it had been celebrated since they were delivered out of Egypt when the angel passed over and, and they were liberated, when the remember when the blood was put on the doorposts and they were set free as a people. It marked the day when they began as a nation. And they celebrated as God had instructed them to from generation to generation. It was the highest and holiest day. Very important. But it was also a time when people would come from all over the world to mark that moment. In other words, it was the time when it was, it, things were most likely to be inflamed. All it would take is a little spark and a thing exploded. Again, people thinking about freedom, thinking about the liberation of God, talking about Messiah, and then having to deal with the fact that Rome was the one that was there. Their oppressors were always there. It, it, Pilate knows this is a delicate time. The authorities know this is a delicate time. Everybody is trying to work together, and yet there's this Jesus issue, and it comes up. And they bring, they, they approach Pilate, they approach Pilate, and as they're approaching Pilate, they are coming there, and uh, we're told that some, another detail we're given in verse 28. Look at it. It's a long verse, and look at the second half of it. It says, his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Again, we just talked about that. You understand what's going on here? We say, well, some, I've had someone say, what, what is this? What are they talking about? They, they, what, why won't they go in? What do you mean defile? Well, okay, they... The, the law as it was at, in that day, the ceremonial, um, the ceremonial procedures and agreements required that for any serious practicing Jew, yet alone the, the religious leaders, they, it was extremely important that in order to participate in Passover that you remain ceremonially clean. The, the scri scribal law had extended that out to suggest that you could become unclean in a number of ways. One of the ways that you could become unclean is if you went into the house of a Gentile, which explains why they won't go into Pilate's house. They will only stay at the courtyard because if they were to go in, they would then have to go through a series of, of things that, that would ultimately cleanse them, and that would have taken too long. They would have missed the Passover, so they could not afford to do that, and yet they had to do it. 
So they're, they're, they're also in a very precarious position. And, and so, I, you know, again, in our mind's eye, we might think about it, you know, what would that moment have been like? And I found myself thinking about what Pilate was like. I can imagine Pilate being told, you know, I don't know what he was doing, but maybe he's writing, maybe he's having some business that he's attending to. All of a sudden, someone comes in and says, you know, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but there's a large, a large group of the Jerusalem authorities, and they said there's an urgent matter. They need you to come out, and they, they need, actually they need to talk to you about it. There's a criminal that has to be dealt with. There's a t- they don't have a lot of time. They need you to come um, and speak with them. They need you to stop what you're doing and meet with them. Can you do this now? And Pilate says, well, fine. You know, tell them to come in. Well, that's the problem a little bit here because they have a, how can I say this? The the religious custom requires them to not come into your house. So they're asking if you will go out to meet them. He said, what are you talking about? They won't come in. They, they, they want me to stop what I'm doing, and yet they have the nerve enough to ask me to then go out and meet with them? Yes, that's, that's what they're asking. I'll never understand these people. I'll go out. I guarantee you this. When Pilate goes out, he's already irritated. Can you imagine? Stop me from what I'm doing, and now you want me, you don't, you, are you telling me that you, you I, I'm un, they, they said basically that they would, they would be unclean if they came into your house, so they need you to go outside and meet with them. I see, all right, all right, well, he goes out there, and he basically walks out, and we're told what happens, so what's your issue? What's the issue? What, what is it that you need me so desperately to speak to you about? What, why? Why? What's going on? Well, there is this a situation. We have a prisoner, a corrupt man, a criminal, a man who claims to be a king. Um, he, he, we, we, we need you to, to help deal with him. And then that begins this conversation. Look at it, verse 29. It says this, a pilot, the governor, went out to them, and he asked, what is your choice? So what has he done? Tell me what has he done. I, I, tell me what has he done, and I'll tell you if I, if I believe he's a criminal. So fill me in. Well, okay, they, they start out from the very beginning. They say, Pilate says that, we, well, we wouldn't have even handed him over to you if we weren't a criminal, they retorted. In other words, we wouldn't have brought him here if we hadn't already determined that he's guilty. You don't even have to worry about that. You just have to know we've already figured out his guilt. That's already been determined. We just needed to bring him to you. Not so that you can figure out whether he's guilty or not, but just so that you can help assign the punishment for his guilt. And then what does Pilate say? Pilate say? Well, then, then, then take him away and judge him by your own law. What are you wasting my time for? You've already decided he's guilty. Get rid of him. It's not that simple. You know we're not allowed to put anyone to death. Only Rome can do that. That's different. Basically, he starts out by saying, well, don't waste my time. Go judge him yourself. And they say, well, we can't. We can't do what he needs to have happen to him. You can do that. You're the only one that can do that. Remember? And then notice what the Bible says there. It puts a little verse in parentheses, 32. It says, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Because you see, in in the Jewish tradition, capital punishment would have been through stoning. But the Roman, as Jesus had said many times, I will be lifted up. I I will be put on a cross. I will die. 
if the Son of Man be lifted up, he will draw all men to me. I mean, there was this hint to him. There was a clear sense that Jesus knew that he was going to a cross. At the time, crucifixion was a uniquely Roman expression. It actually had not originated with Rome, but it had been perfected by the Romans. I think the Babylonians were the first ones to use it, but Rome had perfected it as a means of dealing with anybody who attempted to rebel. And it was a bad way to die. Crucifixion. You know, we, we, today we have symbols, you know, every, people wear a cross, and, and we forget that was an, an instrument of death. It was absolutely humiliating and extraordinarily painful. It was, again, what Rome had managed to do is figure out a way to send a message to everybody, do not mess with Rome. Because that's how you die. And it's a long death, and you're naked, and you'll hang, and it's painful, and that's what happens. So it, it, it was real. Now, like, having said that, I look at this and I go, wow. Okay, I, you know how ironic this is? Here's why. I don't know if you noticed it, but look closely here. Because think about these men for a moment. They are filled with scorching hatred in their hearts that is so intense that they will go to any lengths to have Jesus put to death. And yet, at the same time, they are so meticulous in their commitment to the religious law that they will not allow themselves to be polluted in any way by entering, entering into the house of a Gentile. It's a stunning thing. It's, astonish, it's an astonishing disconnect, an inversion of priorities, a kind of absolutely warped sense of proportionality here. How, how one can justify orchestrating the murder of a human being, someone who had done no violence, nor advocated violence, while at the same time being extra careful not to violate the law of God by entering into the house of a Gentile is almost hard to believe. How do you justify that kind of thinking? That was one of the things Jesus had talked to them about earlier, when in front of a lot of people he had said this, you are hypocrites. That's when he said, you strain at a gnat, and then you swallow a camel. And then in that same conversation, he said this in Matthew 23, 23, and it's, it's an indict, indicting statement. Look what he says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe, to give a tenth of even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. The older version says, you know, your mint, anise, and cumin. You tithe meticulously the seeds, but you ignore the more significant, important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. The, look, you should tithe, yes, but, but do not neglect the more important things. It, 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 he was saying you, you, your entire emphasis is, is, is inverted. If you're going to put the accent, put, it's not one or the other. It's do both, but put the accent where it belongs. It's, it was, it's like, you, what you're doing is, is you're missing the entire heart of God. And you know what? And I'll tell you, we can do that too. We can do this too. To be religious, but to not be Christ-like. To say we believe the right things and then to be uncaring, unloving. And, and to lack integrity is to miss the mark at some level that God... God wants both, but he has a clear priority. You hear what I'm saying? I, one of the things that I've come to realize 
is one of the most damaging things that happen to people with their own life with Jesus Christ and why many people have turned away and why a lot of prodigals run away is because they see the disconnect. I mean, it is possible to believe the right things with a degree of fervency and to meticulously commit ourselves to the laws and the regulations. As Jesus said, some of these things, he said, look, going to church, giving your tithing, believing the right things, standing with the scripture and moral principles, all those good things. But then if you neglect Jesus as the way to your issues, like mercy and, and, and justice and, and, and in your unloving and your faith is, is mean-spirited. What, 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 how many people have been really damaged because of, of what was being done overtly and then wasn't being backed up privately? Instead, it was looking like a lot, of, a lot of unforgiveness, a lot of anger, a lot of things that didn't look like Jesus, but all the details were in place and all the right things were being believed. And we can, this is a, something we, look, I'm not saying we, we, we are not to commit ourselves. Jesus never said that. He didn't say, don't bother with these other details, just focus on mercy, justice, and faith. He didn't, he could have said that. He didn't say, he says, no, no, you should do those, do those things. But don't neglect the most important things or it completely undermines the other thing. It's, it's like someone said to me, we can, we can give without loving. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. The truth is that the Lord requires us, and I, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, God's not requiring perfect people to represent his heart, but he is requiring people who have an honesty and a humility and a sincerity that is really contending to, to live into what we say we believe. And if we're going to be tough on anything, let's be tough on our own heart. It doesn't mean we don't stand for things, and it doesn't mean we, don't, we, we aren't committed to details, but let's, let's be really careful. One of the most, listen, listen, death-dealing things that can ever happen, and it was here, death-dealing, literally and figuratively, is when it's about doing certain things but missing the larger heart of God. And the Lord is constantly going to challenge us. Now, I say all that. It, bring us, flip it back over. Let's finish with this piece here. Go back to the interview. Pilate says basically, all right, fine. Let me meet this Jesus of Nazareth that you say is trying to set up some type of a kingdom and lead some type of a resurrection that Rome should be concerned and that he needs to die. I need to meet this man. All right, have him, have him brought to me. I'm going back inside. Verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus. So here we see. Now, I got to set the stage. We got to think it through. Again, what is Jesus looking like in this moment? He comes into this room. The, the authorities aren't coming in. Only Jesus. He's coming in. He's bound. He doesn't look good. He's, remember I mentioned he's been beaten up a bit. His face is probably a little swollen. That's what happens when you get hit, slapped. Uh, he hasn't eaten. He's probably, been, he's probably very tired. He's probably dirty. He's been pushed from one place to the next. One time he didn't talk. He got severely slapped. He's probably got dried blood on him. He looks honestly sad and pathetic. And he has, he's bringing, this is the man they're all afraid of? And he has the conversation. So, I have a question. Are you this one that they say is trying to make himself the king of the Jews? Are you saying you're the king? And Jesus 
We don't know the amount of space between the question and the answer, but Jesus said, are you saying this of yourself or because my, my accusers have said this of me? Is this a, a, something that you are aware of or is, are you just now being made aware of it because my accusers have said this is what I've tried to set myself up to be? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now, look, it's, for me, I, it's almost like he's saying, look, this makes no sense to me. I don't understand you people. I don't get it. I don't understand what have, what have you done to make them so angry that they want you dead. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not a Jew. You tell me. They say you say you're a king. What have you done? It's intense. Jesus responds. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to these Jewish authorities, to the leaders, but now my kingdom is not from here. It's almost like Jesus lifts himself up and he says, my kingdom transcends time and space. It is not bound to this world. It is not based on force or weapons, nor is it propped up by violence. If it were, my servants would have already fought. My kingdom is more than here. My kingdom is a different type of kingdom. I am a king, but it is not the kingdom you think of. Then you are saying, verse 37, then you are saying you are a king. Then you admit your guilt. If you, you may put it that way, I am a king. And then the words that must have hit Pilate so hard, so intensely, that he says, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And I imagine Pilate in that moment when he said, everyone who is of the truth hears me. All of a sudden, you know what happened in that moment? It's not Jesus who's on trial. It's Pilate who's on trial. Everyone, for this cause I was born. For this cause I was born to bear witness of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear me? And then Pilate, no, no doubt, rocked in this moment, probably stunned, must have momentarily taken him back. But he regroups. Ha! What is truth? Everybody's talking about truth, truth. The man in his position, by the way, had seen and heard just about everything. I mean, he had heard Greek philosophers, Jewish prophets, Persian soothsayers, Roman lawyers, Babylonian astrologers, everybody ranting about truth. What is truth? And then perhaps wistfully, if only it were that clear. In any case, you're an innocent man, a little deluded perhaps, but innocent nonetheless. And he walks out, I've had enough. I walk, he walks out and he says, 
I find no fault in the man. And that's where we'll slice it. What is there for us? Let's think about this in the closing minutes. I want to put this up. Life often presents us with moments of decisions. Here it is, crossroads, where hard choices must be made about our career and life direction that will profoundly affect our life with God. Now, you've got to hear me out. Some of us, this is a direct hit for us where we are right now or where we're going. There are places where we are forced to decide which path we are going to take. Some roads, listen, some roads that look like opportunities may actually lead us away from God's call and provision. Other roads, other paths that look less attractive, and even if I may say it, humbling and possibly even offensive, may actually be the exact path of life that he has for us. Now, look at Pilate. Initially, his decision is obvious, right? I mean, it's like a no-brainer, barely worth a, a second thought. I mean, interview this this. this second-rate Messiah, and get on with life's larger pursuit. Because at his core, he is a political man with a future. Why waste my time bogged down with this guy? But as he talks to Jesus, and we see it, listens as he's brought into contact with him. Ironically, who's the one that brought him into contact with Jesus? It was the enemies of Jesus who brought Jesus to him. And now as he's listening to this man, he's clearly stopped. And as we're going to see next week, he's shaken by the demeanor, by the words, and, 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 and by the deep assurance of Jesus, even as his, he is being just torn apart, the power of his words only grow to such a degree that Pilate progressively is, is, is increasingly insecure and scared about what he's dealing with and tries on multiple occasions to get Jesus free. Well, at the same time, he doesn't want to lose his, he loses his career, his path, and so he's stuck. And part of me goes out and even sympathizes with Pilate because when I really look at him, you know what I see? A disillusioned man who is trapped by his own success. A disillusioned man who's trapped by his own success. Why? Because the road he needs to take, though obvious, will seem so out of reach for a man of his position and stature that, it would almost, that he would almost have to risk the loss of everything that he has built. He would have to redefine his entire identity, give up everything he has worked so hard to achieve. If, if, what's he to do? Even if I believe that this man possibly was what he said he was, how can I give everything up for that? There's a part of him, I get it. It would be so hard for him. Do you know that it's hard for some people today? Because some, in some ways to follow Christ and to submit to his truth is to surrender to a simplicity that almost causes us to redefine our identity. Do you think at least in part it's what, when Jesus, you know, in Jesus there was one time where a person of great power and significance and wealth came and Jesus asked him a series of questions and the and the man had said, I'm a mire of yours, I want to follow you. Jesus said, okay, then go give everything away and come and follow me. The man walked away sorrowful, Lee. We call him the rich young ruler. Jesus then turned around and said, do you understand now? Do you understand how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? It didn't mean it impossible. <laughs> there were wealthy people who were 
who have supported Jesus. What he was saying is the more we clutch to and the more we have, the more we find our identity in it, the harder it is to surrender our life to Jesus. One of the reasons he said, blessed are you who are poor. Because you have nothing to keep you from opening up your heart. You cannot mask your insecurity. It is there, and your heart is open. Now, that's, not, that's a general statement, but it's so real. I look at Pilate, and part of what Jesus is getting at here is, is he's trying to get into the man. And I understand how hard it is. He's saying you need, to surrender to, you need to surrender to something. Now, what's fascinating is that both of these men are at a crossroads, right? I mean, Jesus has already made his decision. He has chosen, listen, the way of the cross. That's, he's on his way. Pilate, though, he had never seen it coming. He didn't know that that was the day he got up that morning. It was any, like every other day, a tough day at work. I know I've got some stuff I've got to deal with. Oh, this Passover, is gonna, it's going to get... He gets up. He has no idea that this is his day. And he's going to have to face a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going to have to grapple with truth and meaning of life and his career and his future. Two men, each representing a kingdom, one of Rome with all of its temporal power and significance, the other, and I say a passing significance, for that's all Rome is, crumbles of a fallen empire that once was great, and the other who looked like nothing but the representative of the kingdom of God, unseen but in glimpses eternal, everlasting, adorned with grace, humility, and beauty, sacrificial dignity. One dressed in power, beautiful robes, the insignia of Rome, the other in chains, bloodied and bruised, but possessor of all things. I mean, I'll leave it with this. The last thing he teaches us here is that truth is a person, Jesus. And remember this, he sees us as we truly are. When he looked at Pilate, I guarantee you, he looked right through him. And when he said, those who love the truth hear my voice, and he looked at him, it didn't matter who Pilate was. When the eyes of Jesus are on us, it can be both invigorating and intimidating all at once. It can be intimidating because you can't hide. We are who we are, broken, proud, whatever, shame. But it's also, it's also enlivening. It, 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 it's, it's inspiring because you know what he says? You know what those eyes say? I know you, and I love you, and I'm calling to you. I'm going to give everything for you. I'm going to give everything for you. I know you. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who respond to your voice, the eyes of Jesus. When all is stripped away, Lord, and someday it will be, Everybody has a final box on this earth, a final day, a final box in the calendar. Everything is stripped away. We leave with nothing. 
but to have you, to have your truth penetrate our lives. Oh, Jesus, teach us your ways, Lord. Remind us that you are the way, that you have a way for us. We come to these crossroads, Lord, where one path leads us into something that maybe our culture says is the way to go. But you may not have that way for us to go. May we follow your way. Teach us true wealth and true value and true meaning. Remind us, Lord, that you are the truth, the one who gives everything so that we may live. May things die so that other things may live. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that you'd bless these coming weeks, bless our time of giving as we do what we ought to have done. And our closing song, our benediction, our word that closes our time together. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.